What age does autism usually show up? Did you know that it's possible for adults with autism spectrum disorder to go undiagnosed? What can we do to help others understand how to treat someone with autism? Hi, I'm Luna, and you're listening to Late Nights by Luna Manila. Late Nights by Luna Manila believe that we develop compassion and empathy by hearing people's stories. We invite guests who are experts in their fields and advocacy so we can help spread awareness. We also create space for people who would like to share their stories about health, educational, and social issues. So if you want to learn and to unlearn, this is your podcast. Today we are going to talk about autism. What is autism? Its spectrum and criteria. I was joined by Anna-Marie Dorielian, who is a Certified Behavior Analyst, or BCBA, and Licensed Behavior Analyst, or LBA, in the state of New York. She is the co-founder and the clinical director of A Friendly Face, an applied behavior analysis company. Anna-Marie has over 15 years of experience servicing children with developmental disabilities and their families. Anna-Marie was featured in an Emmy Award-winning Spanish documentary on autism and was honored as a top woman in business in Staten Island during the year 2014. Without further ado, enjoy listening to this interview. Thank you for sharing your Friday night with us yeah. in New York. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's uh, 9 o'clock in, in New York City. And 9 o'clock here in Manila, Saturday morning. So I'm glad that we have this good connection because I really want to do this interview with you about autism. Yeah. I am not that fully knowledgeable with autism because I don't really know anyone that is close to me who is diagnosed or maybe now I will discover that I have an undiagnosed autism. Start diagnosing people around you like, wait a minute, I think you might be on the spectrum yourself. I want to I want to ask about uh, a friendly face. How how did you start it? What do you really do? Uh, um, can you tell us more about? You know what? Maybe we can start with. Can we first define what is autism, and then let's go to how did you start with a friendly face? So autism is a neurological condition that affects social, emotional communication, um, development, um, and. It also, um, for people with autism, you will see some rigidity, repetitive, ritualistic, routinized behaviors. So, um, and it's a spectrum, right? And I think most commonly people associate autism with um, what we call classic autism, non-vocal um, engaging in some motoric stereotypy like hand flapping, rocking, um, unable to really engage in everyday function. But in fact, autism is a broad spectrum, right? And we find that some of the most successful innovators and writers and doctors and actors and things like that are in fact on the autism spectrum. And because you mentioned the autism spectrum, I have a question about that. 
Um, what do we really mean by autism spectrum or on the spectrum? Okay, say on the spectrum. Um, their autism, I mean, recently, I want to say recently as in less than 10 years ago, um, all these sort of different terms under the autism umbrella has just been placed under one word, which is this autism, right? And mm -hmm then broken into three levels, which is what we consider a spectrum. Level one, level two, level three. So we had terms like um, pervasive developmental disorder back in the day, Asperger's disorder. I think people yeah. know that term, right? Sort of mm -hmm. like a coin term being an Aspie, you know? And, and I always say everyone wants to be an Aspie nowadays. Level one would be the Asperger group right um can you tell us so, more about what that exactly means so level one would be those um that are typically developing in 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 speech and communication like they they're born already with advanced language a lot of these kids are really bright super bright um my son started talking by the time he was one at a year and a half i mean he spoke with like big vocabulary. He was reading by two and a half, three, doing mathematics wow. and things like that. He was already a gifted musician at a very young age. And a lot of level one group, I mean, they'll go on and have, you know, small um, group of friends mm -hmm. um, and can very well go on and get married and have children and have successful careers. You know, a lot of, a lot of, parents that get really proud of their kids are like, oh, he's mm -hmm. so early or reading and doing mathematics and he's only three years old. And when parents tell me that about their children, to me, those are red flags. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we consider them like the genius kids, right? Yeah. I mean, not everyone on level one has that, but typically... Those are red flags. But I couldn't get a diagnosis for him forever because even the experts in the field would miss that. But I'm, I'm stoked in the field, so I know what I'm looking at. It was just hard to get an actual um, diagnosis. And the problem with being on level one on the spectrum mm -hmm. is, especially for females, is you go your whole life knowing that you're not like everyone else, that you don't think like everyone else, that you don't process input like everyone else, that you don't enjoy the parties like everyone else. Yeah. Um, and you have this sensory overload and you can, you're oftentimes misdiagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, with, um, you know, maybe even personality disorder or just having right. and things like that and then you're not treated accordingly and because of that you know you 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 can suffer your whole life until you realize oh it's not a mental disorder that i have or a mental illness of any kind it's a neurological difference that i neurologically process things differently and i and rigid in some ways. And perhaps I need to be a bit more flexible. <laughs> you know, um, that's 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead, please. No, 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 go ahead. Ask away. Cause, no, because yeah. that's um, actually, that's what I'm going to ask. Um, for those, for adults that were undiagnosed uh -huh. with autism, uh -huh. Uh -huh. I, I know right away that there will be a confusion about, um, is it, do I have anxiety disorder? Is it OCD? And yeah, right? Because they are undiagnosed. Yeah. Let me just make it clear. So, I mean, here's an example for myself, right? And I was already like a director and I made a joke. I was running a school then. I was a director of a program and I joked and I said, I don't know why I'm creating all these social interventions for these kids with Asperger's, right? I said, I would have been diagnosed this when I was a kid. And the therapist and the teachers laughed and said, when you were a kid, Anna Marie, indicating like you still have the diagnosis now and I'm, I'm like wait a minute what? what so then i had to really stop and say to myself all right you know you can be in the field and so far removed from yourself and not realize that maybe there's a reason why i'm so good at what i do that it comes so naturally for me that you know, um, um, you know, we kind of, we have a brand here in New York City and we're, uh, you know, our company is pretty known and we're sought after by some of the best universities and hospitals. And maybe there's a reason for that, you know, because yeah. I can to these kids in ways that I didn't even understand. So when I was very young, Lena, like, you know, in the Philippines, all the kids are outside, they're playing in the streets, right? We have all kinds of games. I mean, I'm 47, so I'm going way back um, when play was really outdoors, mm -hmm. right? And I was the little girl that found any reason not to be outside playing, whether I'm, it's too hot, I have a headache or have a stomach ache. Um, and I was more like the bookworm. I'd rather read, I'd rather draw, I'd rather do, you know, arts and crafts. And I was really just an astute, like, observer, you know, just watched people around me and observed. And <laughs> having one or two friends is enough. And I was like the smart one and the quiet one. And, you know, um, and playing with dolls made no sense to me. I remember, I don't know if you remember, like, the paper dolls. We yeah, I remember. And then, like, put dress, dress them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And put gowns and then talk. And I just, none of that made any sense to me. I'm like, they're not real. I'm not going to sit there and play pretend. Or from, like, our, we made our own, like, teacups, right? From our yeah. little, we molded them in our little clay and played teacups. And that just, I, I knew concretely how to play those games. But I could not get engaged in it because it just seems so idiotic to me. Right. right. So now fast forward and I'm creating programs for high functioning kids, making them engage in these things. <laughs> and I'm frustrated <laughs> for them. And I'm like, it's so stupid. Why you have to do this? <laughs> but man, I wish someone was working with me and made yeah. me, to make me realize that it isn't the act itself but there's so much in play that is about social interaction with other peers that we're practicing 
looking at the person, understanding, you know, uh, those these nonverbal communication and and just learning jokes and playing in the back and forth of it, of of like you know social reciprocity that then becomes complex as we get older. You know what I mean? That it becomes yeah. complicated as we get older. And we develop these skills at a very young age. That it's all really social based. But yeah. that social interaction is really not firing us sharply for those in the spectrum because you're not really interested in that. Um, okay, so there's that. So, then, so that's the level one. And then we have the two more one. levels. But you also engage in repetitive behaviors. So you know, as much as you may be bright and smart, there may be jokes that you're not really getting. You may tend to be far more literal than others. Yeah. You may say things that's like, why did you say that? Why would she say something like that, right? I mean, I remember being, oh my gosh, I, re I remember being 16. I mean, you get better as you get older. But I remember being 16, looking at my classmate and saying, oh, your lipstick it's the same lipstick they put on my uncle when he was in his coffin. <laughs> who says such a thing? Like, who says that? <laughs> that is not okay to say. I have way with, I mean, and no one ever did That's so it. funny. Right? And, and there's a lot of things I, we laugh at. But it's, it's and she, I remember her saying, thanks a lot, Anna Marie. <laughs> and I remember thinking, she doesn't sound so thankful, you know, like, and not not getting that. So, like, <laughs> but also engaging in some rituals and and routinized ritualistic patterns of behaviors. Like, I remember needing to count steps going up and down the steps, and if I miss the count, mm. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm having anxiety. Like, I have to recount again. There are some people that are very OCD that have to do things a set way they have to categorize all the red pens together all the green pens together or all the green shirts the white shirts together and they can't mix or their food can't touch with each other and it has to look a certain way like oh my gosh everything that you just said is me i have a no i have a similar example with uh yours you know counting the stairs what i do is i don't know that may it, it may sound weird but if i'm if I have words in mind, or if I'm if I'm talking to myself, or if I hear someone, or whatever, I would write the words here. Yeah. In by twos. So, for example, home, or let's say what's what's five words? Let's say Anna Marie. Yeah. I, yeah. I'll I'll write it Anna Marie by twos here. So A N N A M A R I E. I see. And then it's not even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one letter here. So, so I need to look for... Yeah, it's like, uh, I need to look for another word until it gets even. And then I organize stuff like... When I organize my pantry, for example, I would make sure that all the names or the labels, they should be placing eye level. Or, or, or you can see them right away. Like, okay, so this is sauce, this is soy sauce or whatever. It's just weird. So, I, mean, I mean, here's an example for me. So I did not turn 47 until March. But I don't like the number 46. So it's almost like I forgot I was 46 last 46. year. And I kept telling everyone <laughs> I was 47 because I didn't like the number 46. And one, one of the, my supervisors that 
you know, um, that works at our company said to me, Anna Marie, you're only 46. You're not 47. Why are you making a, and I'm like, that's right. Cause I don't like those two numbers, but here I, I want to just kind of uh, settle everyone because I don't want all your listeners to be like, Oh my gosh, I'm on the spectrum. It's not <laughs> just having ritualistic routinized patterns of behavior. Mm -hmm. you, have. you can of course have OCD that, and not have yeah. ASD. But you also right. have to have these other things that I'm talking about, the social, emotional communication, right? Which I also did. And also having kids now that clearly are also gifted and have all these rituals that I know, okay, they definitely spectrum me. And that's how I know I definitely went misdiagnosed. Yeah. I, I mean, I got pretty lucky in that. You know, I had a couple of friends. I wasn't very good at keeping friends. But I think people didn't detect it because I also always had boyfriends, you know, which is something that's usually a missing piece in those on the spectrum. Like you're usually alone. It's hard for you to have relationships, to yeah. date, or you can have relationships and they always end up a mess somehow because yeah. you're understood or you misunderstand the other person because you don't take cues you know, well, I mean, I just just had boyfriends all the time because I, I was young and I was cute here in New York City and boys asked me out all the time. So I'm always there, all right. And they dealt with my, I don't know, idiosyncrasies. So, I mean, you know, it went undetected for a long time. But yeah, just having those number thing is not enough, Luna. You also need right. another category. Yeah. I, I actually have other categories, but I don't want to make it sound like I'm consulting <laughs> you right now. You're <laughs> on it now. Like, oh, okay. But I am. Like, I have a lot of questions right now <laughs> about what I do, what I think, how yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, it could be, and that's okay. But then, yeah. now we'll move on. And now, but then we're dealing more and more with level two and level threes. two are, are those on the autism spectrum that have words but are not necessarily functional you know that they need help you're talking about you know level one can go all their lives without therapies right and right. level two you really can't go without some intensive therapy and these are those that will probably need help almost all their lives and you need to work on like language and how to communicate um and really work on um some of the behaviors that are more repetitive these are definitely those kids that will probably not go so long undetected on the spectrum then level three yeah. you're talking about severely affected no language no skills no play skills no social skills um, and we'll probably need just focus, intensive support all their lives. And this is um, the genetics, right? So I'm, I'm so glad you asked that. They're, 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 we're finding out more and more that there's a genetic component, yeah. Um, but genetic alone, genetics alone isn't at play. Um, there's environmental factors um, that like... you consider we don't know yet so i mean this is global right right mm -hmm. some increasing in rates 
is global. It's a global epidemic. In mm. the Philippines, I, I think they had recorded that in uh, 2008, there were half a million Filipinos diagnosed with autism. After a decade, there were a million Filipinos diagnosed with autism. And I would bet you there's so many that are undiagnosed. Yeah. Right? There's so many that are undiagnosed. So you're talking about a doubling in just 10 years alone, right? In the United States, I mean, when I was in this field, you didn't have like where, where everywhere you turned, you knew someone who had a relative or a child with autism. Now it's one in 54, right? I mean, it's wow. just increasing and it is global, Luna, and they don't, really they still don't really know the cost of it we know that there's some genetic component but mm -hmm. um, there can be an environmental other variables involved right yeah. why there's such a high why, why there's an increase is it because we're more educated in it so now we detect autism earlier is it because there's more diagnosis um you know what i mean or could it, it be our food or is there really something going on that yeah. is causing this and we yeah. have to pay attention to it because it is in a global scale, right? So I attended um, the United Nations meeting on autism a couple of years ago. We were invited in that. And the great minds all over the world came together and your biggest researchers came. And their report was autism continues to increase. We don't know why. And there is no cure. So I want to I want to ask you about uh, the how did you um, build or start your or oh, a friendly face yeah the company yeah so um, I mean I was in special education um, well you know of course I was a nurse before all of this because I'm Filipino so my mom's like you're not you're not you know you're and I I became a nurse mm -hmm. but I'm like I want to be a teacher and she's like no you're not going to be a teacher. But I went into special education, um, and I was a nurse. I, this is my story. I was a nurse, and then my husband was an engineer, and 9-11 happened. You know what happened in New York in 9-11? Yeah, yeah. Hours. So then his company was shut down, his engineer. I mean, we were really affected here in New York City in terms of job market. And nurses just got paid more than teachers. So I went back into nursing, but then I went back into nursing and became a pediatric nurse for a child with health issues, and I had to accompany him in his school. And he went into a special ed school where there were children with autism, and mm -hmm. PDA was being used. And one thing led to another, and I ended up pursuing it because I was such a natural at it. Now we know why, right? And I was yeah. effective with these kids. I was just so good with them. And someone said, wow, you remind me of behavior, a behavior analyst. I didn't even know what that was. So I went and I pursued it. Then I, like, I, I became very good at it and really just climbed the ladder quickly. And I was running a program in Brooklyn that became very successful. And honestly, how I started a friendly phase was they ended up hiring one of the directors that really started getting on my nerves. So <laughs> I'm done working for people. Like I, uh -huh. I'm done working. Right. Honestly, 
um, people were constantly, and I was constantly being offered partnership because people saw my talent. Mm -hmm. um, and there's such a need for, you know, experts in this field, obviously, because it's rising, right? So then I decided to open my own company and start with the Social Skills Center Clinic. Um, and in the United States, insurance covers ABA, which is a therapy that is used for children on the spectrum. Um, and then it just, it just took off from there. It, it's unfortunately a field that is so in demand that, you know, you don't have to work too hard at being successful. I have a very high quality company just because of the way I'm designed. I'm OCD. Yeah. So I'm all about excellence and high quality. So, you know, and we do a lot. We do a lot of work in the community. We do some non-for-profit pro bono things and in, um, you know, other countries and things like that. So that's, that's really how it started. I got frustrated working for someone. What does applied behavioral science or analysis really mean? So, I mean, applied behavioral analysis is based on the science of learning, right? So, human beings, there is an equation on how we learn. Whether or not you're male, female, whatever, wherever you're from, there is a science to learning. And it's just yeah. what we call the three-term contingency ABC. There's an antecedent, something happens that is followed then by our behavioral response to whatever that thing is, whatever the antecedent. And depending on what happens after that behavior, we will continue that behavior in the future or not continue it. That's just it. So the antecedent is a baby is hungry, engages in crying behaviors, and the consequence is mom gives the baby milk, right? So we learn very early on, oh, when I have a sense of hunger, I cry. And my mom gives me milk. And as I get older, I realize oh, crying is no longer acceptable. I now have to say, mommy, I'm hungry. Right? And then, the, right. you know, I, I'm hungry. So I say, I'm hungry. That's my, my behavior. And my mom says, okay, here's your milk or here's food. So we learn things like that. And that gets complicated and sophisticated over time. Right? Antecedent is, I want to have a love life. My behavior is, I flirt a little bit. You know, with my eyes, <laughs> the guy I like. And the consequence <laughs> is he asked me out on a date. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then the antecedent now is I've got bills to pay. So the behavior is I go to work whether I like it or not. And the consequence is I get a paycheck. So that's just it. That's based on the science of learning. Wherever mm -hmm. you're from, think about it. Wherever you're from. So I always tell everyone, if you're, you're, you're this is a totally different podcast, right? If you are being treated in ways that you don't like, right? You are probably reinforcing that behavior because behaviors only continue when it's being rewarded, right? So you say, I, I had one teacher say, all the guys I date, they all end up the same. They all end up mistreating me. So, I mean, she said, oh, I always date the wrong guys. They always mistreat me. Every guy is terrible. Every guy that I date is terrible. So I say, well, based on the science of learning, Behavior only continues when it's reinforced, right? And if this, and if different guys are reacting to you eventually the same way, which is mistreating you, then you have to really stop and think about what you're reinforcing. 
right? So anyway, that's an aside. Yeah, so, so it reminds me of um, we, we don't attract what we want. We attract who we are. Wow. Yeah. Right? That's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so based on that science, we just use that science because you and I, children, just learn sort of like freely. And there's a fluidity with how we learn in our environment just based on that three-term contingency, based on that science. But children on the spectrum are wired differently. We're talking about specially level two, level three kids. So what ABA does is it presents the science in a very structured way. Mm -hmm. So when a child with autism may be hungry, instead of using their words, they just might go, ah, 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 towards the thing they want. And... A caregiver might be like, oh, well, they have autism, so it's okay. I'll give them the milk when they're going, ah, 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 at three years old. I come along using the same science, right? And when they want that milk, I won't give the milk unless they can repeat after me, say milk, and they go milk, and that's when I give it, right? So we just really present the science of learning, which is how you and I learn. And it's done in a very structured way, you know, and it works, right? There's mm -hmm. a lot of evidence. There's a lot of research that shows. And obviously, it's, it gets more and more complex because human behavior is complex and the science of learning can be complex. Do you also learn um, about food? Does it come with a... I know it's behavior. It's, it's different with food. But is there specific food for different spectrum am i asking the right question like so I, I there is a lot of talk about the gut right when it comes with autism so there's a lot of talk with like well make it gluten free right yeah. um you know make it um maybe without any wheat so diet is always looked at i feel like in everything right even when we're yeah. sick, and anything related to health and, and the sharpness of our intelligence, right? And the way we process things, I feel like it's always related somehow with diet. Because if you're eating something, if, if a child ate something that doesn't agree with them and they end up being gassy, obviously they're not gonna be, they're, they're gonna be a bit moody. Um, yeah. You know, I have a bad relationship with food in that I can go all day long without eating. I also get hyper-focused. So when I'm focused on work, I can forget that it's time to eat. And it could be very, very late, right? But I have a bad relationship with food because when I was young in the Philippines, every time I ate, I suffered from severe stomach pain. So food, to me, isn't a source of pleasure. Like for mm. others, it's a source of pleasure, right? right. Food is associated with pain because of this past conditioning. I mean, believe me, Luna, it's not that way now. Food now is a source of comfort. If you like. Right, right, right. <laughs> but when I was younger, it was a source of pain. So there is a lot of study and a lot of attention being paid to should we give a different diet for children on the spectrum? I just think we should look at food differently for any kids in general with, yeah. with any type of issues. question for new parents what yeah. are the um first symptoms 
Okay. Um, to so, look for, um, to be able to know if your child has autism and what age does it usually present appear? Itself. Yes. What age does yeah. it usually present itself? So, I mean, there's a lot more research looking at does autism begin in embryo, right? Is it at pregnancy stage? We don't know yet. I mean, they, they are looking into that. Okay. But typically... Children, at least in the United States, get diagnosed usually around 18 months before age two. Because right. what happens is there's three types of autism you'll see. I mean, I, I do a lot of these evaluations, and honestly, I still can't get used to it. When I sit down with parents and they tell me about their autistic child, there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of, like, shock involved in what's going on, right? It's heavy. Um, I read a research somewhere where parents with children with autism are 12% more likely to, to be diagnosable with post-traumatic stress disorder. It's so traumatizing for parents. And I think it's because of a couple of things. There are kids with autism that are born without any skills already. They're, they're not making eye contact with their parents. They're not babbling. They're not interacting. They seem like they recoil from touch. And you know early on, ooh, something isn't totally right. Especially if it's not your first child. You're going to be like, wait, by now they're usually cooing and playing with me at three months, four months. They're pointing at things um, and they seem happy to see me. There are kids that are from early on, There's just there seems to be no development of language or social connection. There's that. But then there's also... A lot of kids where they're developing, they seem to be developing normally, right? Developing a couple of words, making some sort of connection. And then at a year, at a year old, it just kind of stays there and does not progress, right? So if a child is saying, mama, dada, that's okay. But then you expect them to start talking a bit more at 18 months, at two years old, but they just kind of are stuck. And right. that's when you bring the child to the pediatrician and you say, no, he's not really talking. And the pediatrician will say, well, how many words does he say? Well, maybe five, six. Oh, it's okay. Give him time. And I've done talks here to pediatricians, right? In our center, there's pediatricians that make their rounds in our clinic. And I tell them all the time, pay attention to parents telling you something isn't right. Stop blowing it off because we need to get therapy early. Because based on studies, if we get there from zero to three years old, there's neuroplasticity, there's a lot we can do if therapy starts very early. Usually parents are bringing their children to the doctor, and if the doctor is saying, ah, it's okay, give them a little time, we're wasting time. So there are those kids that they kind of just don't progress. They've got some skills, but not progressing. And then you have those kids that always really tend to break my heart. And these kids seem to be developing really well, making eye contact, speaking. And then at 18 months, you're not talking about not continuing development, but losing everything. Suddenly not making eye contact. Suddenly not talking. Suddenly not playing. Suddenly just rocking back and forth. I mean, these are the parents that I interview that 
Honestly, I've been in the field for almost two decades. After these interviews, I need a moment myself because I'm a parent, you know? Um, and I think this are when parents say, I lost my child. You know, I lost my child. I don't know where he went because this was the child that was interacting. And then there's sort of like this regression. They call it regressive, you know, like sort of a syndrome. But typically, the diagnosis comes before two years old. If you're taking your child to a reputable diagnostician who knows what they're looking for. But I cannot tell you how many kids, even in the United States, that come to me well after that age. And I think to myself, yeah. where did this go wrong? Like, what? why wasn't this caught early? You know, and I've spoken to some of the best diagnosticians in the field, and they've said things like, you know, and they are right. They're seeing only a snapshot of the child when they come see them. And if the child happens to be a top performance at that time, they can miss the diagnosis. Or you'll have a lot of parents who are new parents and don't really know what they're looking at. Or their relatives will say, it's okay. You also spoke really late when you were young. You didn't talk until you were four. Oh, boys will be boys. They want to destroy things. Or, oh, you know, he'll talk whenever he's ready. And it's true. Kids will talk, you know, differently at different stages. But by two years old, by two and a half, there should be some pretty good language going on. Yeah. Um, so Anna, there was an incident before, I think okay, in December of 2020, um, where uh, Plantation Bay in Cebu, it's a resort okay. um, in Cebu, who reprimands mother with a child with autism only because the child was having fun um, in the pool, I believe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the child was making this squeaky like sound because he's very happy and excited mm -hmm. to be in the pool, you know, swimming and with water and stuff. But then they were reprimanded. Um, my question is, how do we deal? How are we supposed to deal with this kind of situation? Um, it really is. I mean, what you're doing right now, Luna, is such great value because the reason why people reprimand or judge parents um, with children with autism is unlike parents who have kids with Down syndrome. Children on the spectrum look very typical. You can't, you don't look at a child on the spectrum and go, oh, I can, phys I can see a physical um, representation of autism. There's no physical representation of autism. I always say, like, somehow these children are just blessed with amazing good looks. They're just the cutest kids you'll meet. And if they're sitting there just playing with a toy, but you'd never know. So then, so then, yeah, parents get judged. Like I can, I can imagine that the child was probably engaging in what we call vocal stereotypy, you know, like, yeah, something like that. like that. Right. And those in charge or whoever is by the pool probably thought, ah, the parents are just letting this bratty kid make all these loud noises because I don't see a difference in this child. He looks perfectly fine to me. Um, and how to handle a parent like that is a parent, it, to me, I would definitely educate that parent and say, listen, my child has autism, okay? Um, he's playing and he's perfectly fine. 
and there's no stopping him. And I'm not going to stop him because he's having a good time right now. And I understand he's bothering you and I'm sorry he's bothering you, but you know, he's, he's having a good time and that's how he's showing it. I mean, you know, you know, you're right. If we are educated enough about these kinds of stuff, then reprimanding the, this mother and child will not happen. Okay, I want to I wanna talk about this um, undiagnosed autism in adults. Okay. Um, what are the common signs and symptoms of okay. autism and, uh, in adults? In adults. So it's the same for kids. So if you are an adult and you've gone undiagnosed, then chances are you're level one. Right? Because right. you cannot be level two and level three and go undiagnosed. So chances yes. are you're level one. Yeah. There are some markers that are pretty telltale. I mean, there's a tendency to have social, you know, aversion. These are your loners come up with different reasons why they can't go to a birthday party or leave a party within 30 minutes. You know, it drains you. Um, there's a tendency to be intro an introvert, right? Yeah. Uh, typically, maybe not even be in a relationship. Or if you are in a relationship, um, be in a relationship filled with turmoil. Um, there's, a, there's a tendency, because remember, it's social-emotional communication, where you can say something to a person on the spectrum that's an adult, and don't take it wrong. Because right. you process it wrong. Or they'll, they'll, they'll do things that are like, hey, what? why would you say something like that? You know, or why would you do something like that? You know, if you ask a person, a, a man with Asperger's and say, hey, do I look fat in this dress? Well, you better not ask that question because he will answer you honestly. You know, and he'll say, yeah, you do. Why are you being a jerk? What? You asked me, right? <laughs> right. You asked me. Those that go undiagnosed on the spectrum, I think one of the, the common denominators that a lot of them will say is you go your whole life feeling like you don't belong, you don't fit in, and people do not understand you, or and then you don't also understand others. And you spend a lot of time being really hurt yeah. um, and offended and hurt. Because right. there are also things that people say to you or do to you that you can also be misunderstanding. That they, they're not meaning that as anything, but you process things in an exaggerated way. You take it as an attack when in fact it wasn't. Um, you take it that you were being wronged when in fact you weren't. Um, and then some things, this was an issue for me too, is not being able to tell because these are those, those unspeakable things in social conduct, right? Not being able to tell who is your real friend and who is not. And then being betrayed later on when you thought, oh, I thought this was a person I could trust. Right. Others around you are able to say, I told you not to trust that person. You know what I mean? And you're like, but they seem so nice. No, to you, you thought they were nice, but they really weren't because we just kind of take things at face value also. So that is, so I work with some adults with Asperger's and I, and I 
try to coach them. And what I say is, when you come across situations like yourself, when you say, well, I just want to be blunt, or you're confused with some things, practice it with, okay, let me just ask you something, because I'm a little bit on the spectrum. So let me be clear about one thing. So just practice it with something like that, you know? Um, and because there's more, and, and it will lend to people saying, what do you mean by spectrum? Well, you know, I'm kind of like Bill Gates. I'm a little asshole. <laughs> and that means that I might do something that you might take wrong, or I may yeah. possibly be taking what you're saying wrong right now. And it really diffuses the situation. And people then tend to understand and be more gracious, you know, to you. Um, and I, I find that people are much more understanding. But yeah, these are some of the markers. Um, is there anything that you wish we have here in the Philippines compared to what you have in the U.S.? I mean, from oh, what oh you God. observe. I, I wish in the Philippines that ABA is also covered with insurance and that oh, all families yes. have insurance. Um, but the truth is, it's not like that. ABA therapy is extremely expensive. And there's so many people who don't even know about ABA therapy. Yes. Right? I meet with pediatricians from all over the world that know about autism but are not well-versed. They only yeah. know classic autism, kids that are nonverbal, that are hand-flapping. Anything beyond that in the spectrum, they really can't detect. Um, so I wish we had more of that in the Philippines. I wish we had more education. There is this group called Autism Partnership. They opened a huge ABA center in um, Quezon City. I think yeah. in 2015, um, they're based in Hong Kong and they're big in Asia and they opened one five years ago in the Philippines. Um, but you know, one center is not enough to service so many families. We need more education, absolutely. More education on autism. Um, the more education we have, the greater the help um, that we can get because we want to access the help. That's true. Um, like, if we know someone who has autism or family who um, have, you know, children who has autism, um, we there is this there is this stigma that you will think that it's ah oh, it's expensive. Um, yeah. Not every Filipino family can afford to take their child to and, therapy. And, and it is expensive, Luna, unfortunately. So what I do right now is every Tuesday, as much as possible, I do a one-hour live for families in Brazil, right? And yeah. one of my friends is a Brazilian neurologist, and she translates it. And I cannot tell you how many parents have reached out and said their children have started talking their children have started improving just from watching the lives. Right. And we have a couple of parents and, and, and teachers there that turned the live training into an ebook, which some parents are using. And so, so that's one way, you know, this, that I have um, working on non-for-profit, which is called world partners in autism, where I'm hoping to provide these resources for free for places where there's little to no resources. And I know Philippines is one of them. That's why I'm loving that we're doing this because obviously my heartbeat is to help. 
I hope we can also do something like that here in the Philippines. Yeah, I would love that. I just don't have any connection, you know? Like, most of my family is here. And the family that I do have there, um, they're, I mean, they're not aware of the spectrum at all. If I could get connected with, like, a neurologist there or a doctor, you know, then we could do lives, too. Yeah. And Filipinos, you know, they speak, like, Everyone there actually speaks English anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. hate to wrap up this episode, Anna, but I need. I want to ask you this last question. Sure. What is your advice to parents with um, who have a child with autism during this pandemic? Okay. Um, my advice is. First, yes, create a routine for your child, create a schedule. My advice is not to be too hard on yourself. The kids are going to regress because this is a tough time. And my advice is for parents, and this is so hard for parents, including especially mothers. My advice is to engage in some form of self-care, okay? Moms, you need to engage in some sort of self-care. Because you have to take care of yourself too. And taking care of yourself allows you also to take care of your child. So for a friendly face, every Sunday at 8 p.m. for 10 minutes, I have a live webinar where we just do deep breathing with our parents to get our week to get it started. For just 10 minutes for yourself where you're just kind of centering and deep breathing just a little bit that you can gift yourself with 10 minutes for you you know and I insist on parents so my advice is that and my advice is not to lose hope we will this pandemic will end god almighty this pandemic will end and we will get our kids help and we'll we'll just we'll just start where we left off right and our kids are resilient and they'll be okay just take care of yourselves also that's such a wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Anna Marie. Um, for every one of you who have uh, more questions, um, I will tag Anna Marie's um, Instagram so you can send her a DM. Watch out for her IG live. Um, you can ask questions. And where else can they follow you or reach uh, out to you? That's that's really really on my IG, and it's and it's public. Um, you know, I'm not on Facebook anymore too much drama on Facebook. i know me too <laughs> for three years i think <laughs> but yeah follow me yeah. on ig i come on every saturday for about five minutes and answer a question that came up during the week um and i just post a, a bunch of different stuff related to autism all right well thank you again for sharing your friday night with Thanks us here in uh, late nights by luna manila thank you and thank you everyone who listened and tuned in today Thank you, Anna. You have a good Good night. night. Good morning to you. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. I want to know what your key takeaways are by sending me a DM on Instagram at luna double underscore manila. Thank you all for listening.